there was no kind of compelling purpose, which meant I think it was quite hard to measure. It was certainly hard to articulate to our members, you know, what really is the membership benefit? What is the membership offer? How can you get involved in all of this? I think that was quite a challenge. So I think that kind of surprised me. And, and you know, maybe lots of organisations actually become like that, where, you know, perhaps over time, you've just lost that sense of a real kind of clarity of purpose. And I think there is that real advantage of just, you know, repositioning and aligning yourself in that direction. Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Steve Ford, CEO of the Royal College of Occupational Therapists, Steve shares how listening was the key to developing their new strategy. He also talks about the practical steps they've taken to turn that strategy into action, including some of the difficult choices they had to make. Towards the end of the episode, we touch on why and how professional bodies need to change to remain relevant in the future. Steve, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Really glad to have you. Just as a way to kind of get us into some of the topics I know we're going to talk about, could you share a little bit about yourself and also describe a little bit about what the Royal College of Occupational Therapists is and does? I mean, what's a Royal College anyway? Yeah, no, really good question. So yeah, a bit about me. I mean, I in terms of my career, I worked for a long time for the health service as a general manager, chief exec. I've been part of that graduate management scheme and worked in the NHS for 20 years. I left that, I guess, after one of the inevitable reorganizations that happens every now and again in, in the NHS when your organization ceases to exist. So I moved out of the NHS, moved into a charity to Parkinson's UK. I was there for 15 years and saw quite a lot of change. And then the opportunity to work at the Royal College of Occupational Therapists. I'd, I'd worked with occupational therapists in my time in the health service under Parkinson's UK and had just seen this was a you know a great profession working in health and social care, but perhaps not really kind of recognised or valued. And even, you know, confusion. I think some of your audience might think, oh, yes, occupational health. I know about occupational health. Occupational therapy is different from occupational health. And I guess the way I like to think about that is our occupations or our activities, not our jobs, but the stuff that we do every day that's important to us, looking after our grandchildren, pursuing our hobbies, doing things on a day-to-day basis is really, really important. And when people have some kind of illness or disability or some developmental issues, then that's kind of challenge. So OTs are working so many different contexts, schools, prisons, hospitals, community settings, and are really kind of helping people to live their best life and to work on the activities and occupations that are really important to them. So the Royal College of Occupational Therapists, we're there to support and promote the profession. We're a membership organisation. We have 36,000 members amongst the OT community, and it's our role to help develop the profession and support our members. You may get tired of answering this, some of the questions I'm going to ask next, but just so, you know, everybody who's listening kind of has a sense of what we're talking about here. You said occupational health's different from occupational therapy, so good to understand that. And then how's a occupational therapist the same or different 
to a, let's say, a physical therapist, just because they both have the word therapist at the back of it, and sounds like they have something to do with your body. Yeah, no, really good questions. Yeah, so occupational therapy, I mean, it's a role principally in health and social care to support people kind of recover from some kind of illness or, or disability. And they work really closely with physiotherapists and speech and language therapists and other therapists. But I guess the approach that occupational therapists would do would be to look kind of holistically at the issues and challenges in someone's life and to kind of find innovative, practical um, it might be equipment, it might be strategies, it might be techniques to help someone perhaps rebuild their life at home or whatever. So yeah, working closely with physiotherapists, but they would perhaps be a little bit more focused in looking at some sort of functional abilities. How do we strengthen that leg? How do we regain function in various ways? And um, so, you know, there is a bit of overlap. You know, occupational therapists struggle, I think, to get people to really understand what it is that they can do. And what I kind of pick up really is this sense of looking a bit more holistic. I heard a great quote which someone said, a physio helps me to walk, an occupational therapist helps me to dance. And I think it's that sense of why do we want to be able to have physical movement? It's so that we can live our lives, so that we have kind of meaning to our lives. And I think that's the kind of dimension, that's the kind of mindset that occupational therapists bring, which I think is quite distinct, actually, from other healthcare professions. Two thoughts that come to me just from what you said, it, it, partly to check my own understanding. It sounds like physiotherapists, if I could put it this way, sort of almost kind of look into the body and go, what's not right here that we could change? And occupational therapists almost look out from the body to say, okay, what about your life out there? Exactly. What's interesting is that occupational therapists increasingly starting to work in GP surgeries and starting to be a bit more kind of frontline. So one of the areas there is around some of the kind of mental health challenges, I think, that people are, are facing. Perhaps people go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't want to go down the kind of drugs route or treatment. It's about, you know, an occupational therapist working with that individual to help them connect them into their community and society and to help them start or restart some of those kind of meaningful activities that do give purpose to people's lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've used the P word, the purpose word. Um, it's clearly one of the things I want to explore a bit with you. So what is the purpose of the Royal College of Occupational Therapists? Well, and this is new. I mean, I, you know, I started a couple of years ago and I, you know, had lots of conversations and didn't pick up any really kind of clear purpose. But through the kind of process we went through, we articulate it now as people everywhere value the life-changing power of occupational therapy. So we very sort of deliberately framed that in terms of the impact on society. I think if you'd have asked a group of people before, what's RCOT for? People would say it's to promote the profession or to fight for more occupational therapists or better paid occupational therapists or, you know, however they might kind of frame that. And all of those are really important. But actually what we wanted to really position this in terms of the impact on society, that creates a, a kind of vision which is more compelling. It's easier for people to buy into who don't necessarily have an attachment to the profession, but they can kind of see the broader impact on this and that sense of, yeah, the impact on society and, and issues of kind of equity, really, if people aren't able to access those kind of services that can be life-changing. Right. So it sounds like, from what you said, that definition, that statement of purpose has come together 
relatively recently. Yeah. How did that come about? You know, you show up as a new CEO, you're kind of looking around. So what's it really all about? You're not hearing it. What happens next? Before I started, actually, I said to the team, look, I want to talk to 100 occupational therapists in my first 100 days. Um, please, can you help kind of make that happen? So they started off with you know, some of the people who were kind of close to the organization. But over time, we then, through social media and other mechanisms, just said, you know, anybody who wants to speak to me. And in the end, it was something like 250 occupational therapists who spoke to me in my first nine months. And, and that was just so fantastic, actually. I mean, it, it was a real privilege to have those conversations and just, you know, for me to learn so much about the profession, but also people's kind of hopes and aspirations, their perceptions of our COT and their membership of our COT. So through those conversations, and it was probably about kind of three or four months in, I started to just pull together some of those themes. What I kind of picked up very clearly was that although we had got some strategic intentions, I think, that had been set out somewhere, no one spoke to me about any of those. That just wasn't the language of anybody. You know, there was no really kind of overarching purpose or vision or strategy or sense of direction. I mean, it was at our first conference, actually. I, th I was only three months into the post, but I actually said, look, this is what I've heard. These are, I think, some emerging strategic priorities. What do you think? And I put them up on the screen and I asked people to vote, kind of thinking, this could be the, the shortest and, and, and most public end of a chief exec's time in post. But actually, it was very, very positive, the response I got. You know, I think 95% thought it was either spot on or quite close. And actually, that's not surprising, is it? Because I was just playing back what people had been saying to me. So that gave a real kind of legitimacy, I think, for us to continue to work on that. And we then got more occupational therapists involved. We got a bit of external support just to move it from kind of my words into something that was a bit more kind of integrated. So that was really about kind of strategy, I suppose. You mentioned getting other people involved. How did you get other people involved? And you also mentioned external support. What did you use? What were you looking for? How did you involve external support and all that? So in terms of getting other people involved, I mean, in some ways, it was just conversations that I was having, but I was playing those conversations back regularly, almost you know, on a weekly basis. These are the themes. This is what I'm hearing. I think the impact on that was twofold, really. I think, one, it was starting to argue for change and, and provide the kind of rationale for why we needed to change. The second benefit, actually, was there was an impact on the organisation for people to see that the chief exec was out there wanting to engage and connect. Really a kind of a reminder or a bit of a challenge to others that were they doing that? And I think this whole sense of kind of listening is a really core priority for me. And I don't think it kind of had been for the organisation, you know, a membership body. But, you know, were we really well connected with members? Those themes of mine, I think, did kind of continue I think the other thing that was kind of going on in parallel here, before I started in 2021, April 2021, so a kind of year into the pandemic, a year earlier, the organisation had developed a kind of rebrand process, but hadn't launched that because of the pandemic. And it just didn't seem 
kind of right. When I looked at it, I really liked it and thought this conveys the profession, the organization in a way that I'm kind of hearing people talk about it. But I wanted to launch it with a new strategy, with this kind of overarching vision statement, and also our values as well. And actually, values weren't part of the kind of process at all. And, and for me, and the kind of lessons I guess I've learned is that any kind of change in strategy has to go side by side with values. And so that opportunity of having this new vision and then saying, okay, well, we've got a new strategy. This is what we're going to do. We've got a new brand. This is how we talk about ourselves and present ourselves to the outside world. And we've got a new set of values. This is who we are and how we behave and how we make decisions and work together was really powerful, I think. And it did mean that we could have this kind of relaunch almost, which is what we did in January of 2022. So uh, 18 months ago or there thereabouts. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And what was the new strategy? You know, what were the values? How is it different? We talk about four themes within the strategy. And, and the first one is rise up. And that sense is how do we have a stronger voice for the profession, really fight for the profession, positioning the profession uh, in a much more kind of assertive way, a much stronger voice, much stronger data. The second one is open up, which is about looking at kind of new people that we can involve, how we can kind of broaden the diversity within the profession, how we can be much more kind of innovative in our partnerships to really position the profession. The third one is lift up and how we want to lift up every member to be the best occupational therapist they could be. So a real focus on our membership offer and really making sure that we are alongside every occupational therapist with all of the challenges that they have in their professional life, whether they're you know, a student, whether they're starting their first job, whether they're a professor embarking on world-class research. You know, how do we get alongside everybody? And the sense of community, actually, and the shared learning experience of the whole community is something much more kind of readily available to our members. And then the fourth component is build up, which is a bit more internal. I think it's about how we can make sure that the organisation itself is fit for purpose and able to deliver on the strategy. So being data driven and values led and having the right kind of resources and way of working. So as I say, it's rise up, open up, lift up and build up. And, you know, collectively, we're stepping up for occupational therapy. That's the way we like to kind of present it. One thing I like about that is it's very easy to remember. You mentioned earlier how, you know, people didn't know what the strategy is. I think many chief execs struggle with, how do I just get everybody to keep a few simple thoughts right front of mind? Yeah, I think that's really, really important. You know, everybody ought to be able to talk about it. These themes or the pillars, you know, they should populate every single conversation we have, every activity that we're doing. People can see how it fits in. People can see how their role is contributing to the pillars, to the overall kind of vision that we have. And that's really important. And so along with that, we came up with our four values, which were, you know, kind of new. It was kind of describing the organisation we wanted to be rather than the kind of organisation we we are. But, you know, impact, how we make sure that everything that we do has impact. There's a real kind of focus and urgency behind what we're delivering. Challenge, that kind of sense of if we want different results, we've got to work in new ways. And, and everybody has permission, actually, to sort of challenge existing assumptions and ways of working. 
um, elevate and our role in elevating other people. And that's our job is to get the best out of others, whether that's our colleague, whether that's our, our kind of members, but working in ways that are kind of building up people around us. And then the last one is is kind of respect, which is, you know, how we work together, how we value differences and, and diversity and cope with disagreements but actually just, you know, work together effectively. So I think that's given us a really kind of strong platform for change, having a new strategy, a new set of values being launched together. Mm -hmm. One of the themes that I've heard come out from what you've been talking about is, you know, you sort of talked about fighting for the profession, kind of recognition, everybody understands, you know, the value of it. Why is that a problem? Why is that an issue? Why is that so front and centre? Well, you know, health and social care is a challenging environment to operate in at the moment, isn't it? With resources and resource pressures, there's something about wanting to be able to really be confident in how the profession is articulating its benefit, its impact, its value. You know, I think in many ways in this kind of post-COVID world with this focus on recovery and everything, you know, there's some great opportunities for occupational therapists, but we need to convince other people of the benefit of that. You know, maybe it's even come through in this conversation, hasn't it? We understand nurses and physios and doctors, but if we don't understand occupational therapists, then, you know, that provides a a challenge. And, you know, it was a frustration that a lot of people talked to me about. Um, and a lot of other people said, actually, this, you know, this profession is hiding behind this. You know, it's our job as professionals to articulate really confidently, you know, in our workplace, the value that we can bring. And I think that's right. But I think there's more that we can do to really help individual kind of members and teams to be more confident in how they kind of demonstrate the impact that they're making. You described sort of the process you went through to get to this new sense of mission or vision or purpose. Mm. Um, did the strategy kind of come, the, you know, the identification of the four themes or did that come sort of through the same set of conversations and in parallel or, or was there a separate thread of activity? No, it was all through that kind of process. I mean, as I say, you know, I identified some themes through those initial conversations and it was really then reframing them, working on them, redefining those that then ended up as those four pillars of our strategy. And through that, you know, how do you engage with your governance? How do you engage with the board, all that stuff? That's a really good question. And as I had those conversations, I would give those kind of regular updates to the board. I think part of this is about exciting people. And, you know, our board is made up of occupational therapists who are elected by members, and they had been part of those conversations. I, I think you know, what we were doing in presenting the strategy was kind of music to everybody's ears, really. You know, and a lot of the feedback was, this is long awaited, and this is great, and, and people feeling kind of excited. I think the challenge for our council, we call it, but, you know, effectively our board was around kind of implementation and delivery. You know, it's, it's quite easy, actually, to frame all these big concepts and excite people with a vision of the future. I think the challenge is, okay, well, how are we going to to kind of implement all of this and how do we position ourselves to do that? And that's taken a few months, I think, from the kind of launch. You know, it's been about how we look at our financial strategy so that we can kind of free up some growth resources. And, and we've, you know, we have got some reserves in the bank, I think quite a conservative kind of balance sheet. And we are kind of going for growth. We're investing in new projects to grow our membership. 
So running deficit budgets while we do that, but hoping to achieve this new equilibrium at a higher level as we grow income and diversifying our income as well to the sort of use of our building. We completely changed our leadership structure and focused around the kind of new strategy. And, and that was really important. And yeah, we've expanded the organisation. So so actually of our leadership team, I mean, these aren't all new people to the organisation, but our director team and our heads of team. So that's about 16, 17 people who have all got a new job, who have all been appointed in the last few months. And that's really kind of exciting. And there are some people in the organisation who've been around for quite a while, but have got this new focused role and starting to deliver on that as well. The level of change in the last couple of years has been significant. You know, the stuff we've talked about, but, you know, coming out of COVID, virtual working, hybrid working, new offices, new technology, you know, it's all quite kind of significant. And just, you know, taking people with us on that journey has just been really, really important. And it takes time. It, you know, it takes time. People saying, OK, well, we hear the pillars, we hear the values, but but what does this really mean in practice? What does this mean for me? So working hard on implementation, being really clear what the plans look like for each of those pillars, and then trying to shorten the time horizon within the organisation. We work now on this concept of three monthly objectives. So we call them rocks. There's a book that we all kind of read, The Entrepreneurial operating system. I can't remember the author. It's a manual for, for sort of small organizations. And one of the aspects of that, it talks about rocks. If you've got rocks, pebbles, and sand, and you're trying to get them into a container, if you start off with the sand and then the pebbles, you won't get the rocks in. But if you put the rocks in first, and then the pebbles fit around those, and then the sand fills the gap. And the whole kind of concept, the sand is the kind of everyday stuff that just happens. You know, the pebbles are the things that we have to get done every month, but the rocks are the bigger kind of priority that we have. So we've kind of focused, you know, collectively, everybody, you know, what are your rocks for the next quarter? Let's share them. Let's negotiate them. Let's understand the commitments that other people have to have if you're going to deliver this, this kind of rock. Let's make sure that we talk about those rocks every Monday morning at nine o'clock and, you know, make sure that's the first thing we think about. So, you know, it's early days, but I think that's starting to inject that sense of kind of pace and connection of all of our roles with this kind of broader strategy and helping people to see that. Yeah. As you've been on this journey, leading the organization sort of down this road, what surprised you most? Um, I guess I was surprised by the lack of any of this kind of stuff in place before, I, I suppose, you know, and I don't want to be overly critical in the organisation, doing great stuff, supporting our members in lots of good ways. But it felt perhaps a little bit ad hoc that, you know, there was a whole load of separate activities. There was no kind of compelling purpose, which meant I think it was quite hard to measure. It was certainly hard to articulate to our members, you know, what really is the membership benefit? What is the membership offer? How can you get involved in all of this? I think that was quite a challenge. So I think that kind of surprised me. And, and you know, maybe lots of organisations actually become like that, where, you know, perhaps over time, you've just lost that sense of a real kind of clarity of purpose. And I think there is that real advantage of just, you know, repositioning and aligning yourself in that direction. And what's been the most difficult bit? I think everybody was really kind of bought into the strategy. This is what we need to do. And so 
We needed new roles. We needed different teams. We needed a lot more capacity around kind of change management, around digital leadership, digital transformation, change management, data technology, and some more OT leadership, actually, and real focus on membership, where I don't think we'd got that kind of membership, kind of marketing. You know, there's a lot of kind of gaps in the organization. And as I say, we, we've, we've been expanding. But in order to create the kind of posts that we needed to create, we did make the decision to change our structure. And unfortunately, it did mean that there were a handful of kind of redundancies in the organization. And, and that, that was tough. It was tough for those colleagues. It was tough for other colleagues. It was tough for members seeing kind of what was happening. It was tough for people having to make those decisions as well. But I'm kind of really clear that, you know, we've got a responsibility to deliver what our members want us to do. And if that means we've got to, yeah, um, with that horrible cliche of breaking some eggs to make that omelette, then that's what we need to do. And I think we're coming through that kind of now. But, you know, making those changes, I guess, is 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 tough. Yeah. I can see how that would be difficult. Um, one of the things I've noticed around, you know, both for businesses and, you know, membership bodies and everything is they need to stay in conformance, in relationship to the external world. I know that's just an obvious statement, but I do think where you maybe have an organization that isn't paying quite as much attention as they should to the way the external world's changing and the challenges and opportunities that means. So they can, the word drift may not be quite right, but they sort of become more internally focused when that external world then breaks through again. It can be a big shock. I think so. And historically, you train, you become an occupational therapist and you join RCOT. That's your kind of professional identity and that's how it works and that's how it's always worked. But, you know, in this increasingly digital world, connected world. There are other ways in which you access professional support and development and build communities. And, you know, with the cost of living increase, you know, suddenly people go through their list of direct debits and, you know, suddenly do I join RCOT, renew my membership or do I not? So a real kind of, you know, compelling, you know, burning platform, if you like. The number of OTs has been growing probably about, about three or four percent a year, which is great, but our membership hasn't been growing in the same kind of proportion. So yeah, there's that real kind of challenge. How do we make sure that we can persuade people to join and renew their membership? I think across lots of professions, there's a growing gap between the number of people in the profession and the number of people in the professional body. Yeah. Which maybe is a whole different topic, but I do think there's a question about kind of what are professional bodies of the future and, and are they even professional bodies or is there some other way of scratching the various itches that they scratch today. Yeah. And, you know, we've tried to talk about kind of movement building and framing that in a slightly different way and maximizing that sense of kind of community and belonging and involvement, helping people with perhaps some of that kind of professional isolation. And, and you know, now is a really exciting time to be doing this because we have got so many tools and resources available to build dialogue and to open up our organizations you know just the fact you know for me doing those hundred conversations how would I have done that you know 10 years ago it's just so much easier now for us to work in different ways and for organizations to to kind of decentralize and to open up 
And we've got to be kind of responsive to that. You know, we've got to really challenge all of those assumptions that really underpin, you know, these kind of organisations where you get a magazine and you get invited to an educational event or, you know, that's just so, I don't know, 1980s, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as you've been on this journey over the last couple of years, how have you personally changed? What have you learned along the way? Yeah, it's a good question. And I guess, you know, I'm no sort of spring chicken and, you know, I guess starting to come towards the kind of end of your career. So it's been useful to, I suppose, come into a role and embark on some quite big change and actually, you know, maybe put in place some of the things that you'd wish you'd done in other jobs. But I think, you know, the kind of impact it's had, I suppose, is you hear how committed people are to their profession. It's their whole kind of identity. And, you know, RCOT is such a massive part of that because we're the ones who are, you know, hopefully at the table um, advocating, positioning the profession. So people are really kind of passionate about their professional body. And so just this real sense of humility and, you know, what an honour, I suppose, it is to have that kind of leadership role within all of this and so for the challenge for me to you know to be as passionate and to be as passionate in my leadership as as they are in their membership really and that's such a key part for me of leadership of really kind of believing in 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 what it is that you're um delivering and and you know maximizing those ways of finding connections going out and visiting teams seeing it in action talking to service users and the like so yeah, it's a real honour to do these kind of roles. And we've got to make sure that we're really, that we're worthy of them, I suppose, in terms of that kind of emotional buy-in that we make. Mm-hmm. What advice might you give to a leader in a different organisation that was wrestling with that organisation's purpose and how to articulate it, refresh it, and kind of express it through a strategy? I, I think, you know, it, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But you know, the value of all of those conversations, not just your kind of, you know, established stakeholders, but getting out and talking to customers and partners and people on the front line and just really understanding people's kind of day-to-day experience of their involvement with the organization, their aspirations for the organization. I think that's kind of really, really important. I think, you know, often in our strategies, there are lots of kind of tactics and lots of things that we need to do in order to grow. But I think there is something about those kind of powerful overarching statements that can join an organization and its wider community together that's kind of simple, that's clear, that's compelling, that's motivating, that's optionable. But all of those things, I think, are really important. You know, we hadn't mapped out the detail of the strategy when we launched the strategy because we wanted to position the big kind of themes and the rest of that would kind of follow and will evolve over time but so something about yeah you know really kind of positioning in a way that that joins people together so that together we can develop the strategy and kind of roll this out more and more purpose-led organizations are going to need to reach out to other bodies to other people to other movements because both the challenges and the opportunity in front of us are just so interconnected, so interwoven that to try and make much headway on any of them from one fairly narrow perspective is going to be a problem. You'd use that word movement a while back and it really resonates with me. Yeah. One of the narratives, I guess, that I've tried to change, I suppose, you know, people talk about RCOT, meaning the hundred people who work in the office in London. 
And what I've been trying to talk about is, no, it's it's the 36,000 members supported by 100 people who well, don't work in London, you know, who work virtually and around the UK, um, who can support all of that. Even that is, you know, we get into kind of linguistic gymnastics around how we kind of present that, you know, who's the kind of we and who's the kind of you in all of this. But it is that power of community, you know, the expertise and experience that resides in the community is just phenomenal. And that's what we've got to kind of unlock, really. Just as a perspective, I think one of the most powerful things a chief exec can do, and it sounds like you're doing exactly this very intentionally, is to shift the boundary for who we are. So if we as the hundred people, you know, kind of the full-time paid professional staff, if we is the 36,000, or if we is, well, no, actually, we's a lot bigger even than that 36,000, you know, it's a whole community beyond that. I think that's one of the most powerful leadership acts a, a CEO can take. What, what haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? I think we've talked quite comprehensively about the kind of journey. I guess for me, it is now about delivery, isn't it? And, you know, the tools and techniques and approaches. I'm someone who naturally is much more confident with bigger kind of strategic themes and conversations and facilitating that than perhaps I am around, okay, well, where's the action plan? And, you know, how are we doing against all our deadlines in in the last kind of month? So I think it is, you know, for me, the kind of learning is you've got to build your team around your kind of priorities and ways of working. And, you know, the focus on, I'm really clear with everybody, the focus is now on delivery. You know, we've done a lot of positioning and articulating and preparing all the new structures. We've now got to make it count. So I guess, you know, there is just something about how we make sure we've got that real kind of focus. And I think that one of the challenges, which I've always found actually, is in, in the kind of organizations I've worked in, is how do we come up with good measures for all of this? You know, how do we know when the profession has risen up? What are we looking to achieve? So we're doing quite a lot of work on that now of, you know, coming up with that kind of simple dashboard that can really help us on that. I mean, in some ways, it's, you know, there's some quite obvious stuff around membership numbers, membership retention, membership growth, number of of occupational therapists in the profession. And we're setting some really challenging objectives around, you know, kind of doubling our membership, which might sound a bit bizarre when we've already got a kind of 70% coverage of OTs. But, you know, we're really ambitious that if we can grow the profession by, you know, six, seven, eight percent every year and encourage all of those people to be members as well, you know, that's a realistic target over kind of 10 years to start to double the membership. Yeah. Very exciting, Steve. For me, one of the most exciting things you said is this idea, we want to double even when we've already got 70% market share, because that objective will force us to push the boundaries of kind of what are we doing, where do we sit, all that. You know, so if you're measuring that, it's taking you into one of the key building blocks, not just of getting more members, but actually really driving the the strategy forward. Yeah, really exciting. No, definitely. Well, that's probably a, a good place to end. Steve, let me again thank you for joining us. Really a lot of, I think, very useful, applicable kind of ideas and frameworks in there. Good. As well as some sort of from the heart. What does it feel like to be the chief exec in the middle of that? So thank you very much. Well, thank you. Some great uh, thought-provoking questions, actually. And it does help you to uh, reflect. But yeah, no, thank you. That's been great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. 
In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.